May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our bit to preserve the legacy of Shunryu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his, and anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, uh, Emma Bragdon. Emma was at the first practice period at Tassahara, was a Shunyu Suzuki student, uh, and... Uh, she, uh, her, her first husband was there, uh, Tim Buckley, and uh, she, you know, she had quite an experience around there. We don't get into that much. We just touch on that. Mainly we're talking about what she's doing now, uh, which is really interesting. And, and uh, you know, we talk about maybe doing, uh, uh, coming back and having another conversation and getting more into uh uh, what you know, how her life progressed after that. But if it doesn't, um, there's plenty about her on kook.com. Emma Bragdon, you can go use the site search box to get to it. So, um, hmm, but I, I want to tell you some books she's written here. She's got a number of books out. Um, uh, the Call of Spiritual Emergency, From Personal Crisis to Personal Transformation. Spiritism and Mental Health. She's going to talk to you about spiritism. It's pretty interesting. Source Book for Helping People in Spiritual Emergency. Resources for Extraordinary Healing, Schizophrenia, Bipolar, and Other Serious Mental Illnesses. Kardec's Spiritism, A Home for Healing and Spiritual Evolution. And again, that's what uh, she is uh, uh, principally involved with right now. A source book for helping people with spiritual problems. There's so many of them. I'll just start repeating them. Uh, hmm. So, now you can find those books by looking under her name, of course. Emma Bragdon. E-M-M-A-B-R-A-G-D-O-N. Now, there is EmmaBragdon.com. Uh, but... The one that she tends to give out is uh, imhu.org. And that's the International Mental Health University, which uh, she founded. And she's, I don't know, she'll say she's like the president of her, the director of her. 
Anyway, just look it up and you'll find out. So let's give uh, Emma Bragdon a call right after we've had our pause to meditate. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause and we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever and we'll give Emma Bragdon a call. Hello, this is Emma. Oh, hi, Emma. David, how you doing? I'm doing well, David. It look, it sounds like you're right in the same room with me. This is a good connection. Yeah, good, good. Wow, well, we made it. Um, so, uh, uh, what are you, uh, what are you up to now? What are you doing these days? What am I up to? Well. I spend a good deal of time as the executive director of Integrative Mental Health University. It's something that I started about 10 years ago, mm. and it's it's actually a function of a foundation I started in 2008 called the Foundation for Energy Therapies, Inc. So um, our original mission is education and research. And we're continuing that with uh, Integrative Mental Health University as our education arm, and we're involved in some research proposals, at least. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, you got to tell me more. I want to okay. know more about it. All right. So um, you may remember my dad was a pathologist, researcher at the National Institutes of Health for a good long time. Mm. So... I got, I got, you know, um, influenced by him and my mother, a visiting nurse. Mm. And I've always been involved with health. I got a PhD in transpersonal psychology back in the late 1980s. Mm. So I was a practicing psychotherapist. But in the process of um, doing private practice and also traveling and teaching, I was um, invited to teach in Brazil. And I went down down there in 2001 and uh, was deeply impressed by some of the unusual psychiatric hospitals I found there. So this is not all psychiatric hospitals in Brazil, but 50 of them uh, follow oh. something called spiritism, which is not spiritualism. I'm not misspeaking. It's spiritism. I'd never heard anything about it in all my reading and, you know, study for my PhD, etc. But as it turns out, it's um, very quite a popular group. It's uh, spiritually based. It's all about supporting spiritual evolution. Mm. And there are 
um, over 13,000 community centers that follow this particular path of supporting spiritual evolution. In Brazil? Give, in Brazil. Wow. They that... give they give everything that they do uh, for free, so no one has to pay for it, but it, it uh, allows people to come together to listen to talks, take classes where they really um, consider things like, why are we all here anyway? Mm. What, what's the point? What are we supposed to get to? And it's it's not about converting people to any particular path because they're very universalist in mm. in the sense that they accept um, people and welcome people coming in from all different faiths and philosophies. But they give people an opportunity to go deep into these questions in a community setting. They also do um, energy work, which means a, a kind of laying on of hands, um, which is... Uh, not touching the body, but six six inches or so above the body, and um, and they also do a form of spirit release, which some people would say, "Oh, I know that it's exorcism." Oh, so, goodness! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, they they have a variety of ways in which they help people and. Charity is a huge part of what Spiritism is about, because they believe if you do something in service to others, that it actually um, helps your evolution. And in fact, you don't have to study anything, and you don't have to do much else other than be in service to other people, and it will help your spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I looked into the community centers down there while I was in Brazil, and um I was impressed by by uh, what they were offering, and then I was invited also to visit the Spiritist Psychiatric Hospitals as their honored guest, which was very kind of them. Um, and what I saw was people who were actually opening up um, spiritually, getting the kind of support that worked for them, <laughs> uh, rather than what might happen in the hospitals that we have in the United States and Europe, um, mm. which might see, you know, someone who reported uh, doing things like talking to the dead as clearly a hallucination and um, putting them in a position where they needed antipsychotics. Oh, but the, bad, bad. <laughs> right. So the spiritists recognize that that uh, every human being has the capacity to move into uh, a realm where their sixth sense or their third eye opens up. They can perceive things that maybe other people who are um, more conditioned to society as it is, other people may not see it. And so mm. what we've got here is people who are opening up on a spiritual level, sometimes being seen as being crazy or part of the lunatic fringe and definitely needed needing psychiatric medication. Anyway, in, um, in Brazil, what they are able to do is recognize those people who are opening up spiritually and give them support and training and definitely take them out of the identification that they're crazy give them the give them support 
and um, and these people oftentimes go on to be leaders and healers and offering all kinds of creative and positive ideas to their communities. And essentially, they also become extremely peaceful and maybe even happier than most of uh, other people. <laughs> so it seemed to me that, that uh, you know, the Brazilian spiritists uh, through their community centers and hospitals had developed a model that we could all learn from, not to say that we should transform and be exactly like them, but, but uh, they could maybe help us as we um, develop our ailing mental health care system. Mm. Mm. And um, mm. so when I I came back into this country, I was contemplating it, and and uh, eventually, like seven years after I had gone to Brazil the first time, the Foundation for Energy Therapies was created, and then later uh, this more structured and daily kind of uh, practice for me, which is uh, offering courses online. Uh, in, in integrative mental health, which in, includes a very strong spiritual com- component. In other words, mm. spirituality can be tremendously helpful in terms of um, strengthening mental health. Mm. Mm. So that's a long answer to your short question. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. It's still a short answer, I, I bet. Uh, I bet you could go on and on about that. Um I think of two things. The first thing it makes me want to go to Brazil. Um, yeah, uh, that sounds uh, really good. All of it, um, and uh, yeah, I'm extremely impressed. I think of uh, two things. I think of R. D. Lang, uh, right, uh, who you know argued for mm, something similar in terms of. Uh, Dealing with people, I mean, he focused on what he called one-time psychotic break, right? Uh, and uh, on how to deal with it. And you, because you wrote more than one book. You wrote, what is it, Spiritual Emergence or Spiritual Emergency? Yeah, um, I, I actually did my dissertation in the 80s on how to uh, help someone in spiritual emergency. Mm-hmm. And and then I was asked by Harper San Francisco to write another book that was not so academic, but more stories. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what is this thing called spiritual emergency? What happens to people who are going through it? And and how do they resolve it in a positive way? Mm. That book that book is uh, the call of spiritual emergency. Yeah. And then uh, when I went to Brazil in. Uh, starting at the beginning of this century, I was inspired to write more about spiritism, and some of it is um, narrative. So there's one book called Kardec's Spiritism. So I spell that first word. K-A-R as in Robert, D as in Donald, uh, E as in Emma, C as in Cat. What does that mean? And he was the guy who who basically um, founded what spiritism is about. He was oh, a French I see. Academic. French. Huh. Kardec is his um, was the pen name that he used, 
Mm. And um, so that, that was like back in the 1860s, he oh. put this together. Oh. And he that's wrote when, five uh, That's when uh, uh, Freud and some of those guys were getting going, huh? I didn't understand. Would you say that again? I said 1860s back then. Is, when was Freud? Wouldn't he? Oh, Freud. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, was he a little later than that? Well, yeah, the, uh, a little bit later yeah. than that. Yeah. But um, uh, Kardec was not uh, coming from a place of psychology as much as coming from a place of um, he was he was actually more of a linguist and and think of him as teaching uh languages and mathematics and things mm. like that so mm. he, he was just a, a well grounded academic who was doing a lot in um post secondary education and evening education adult education and he got wind of what was coming to paris during that time which was Wow, look at this. Spiritualism. <laughs> People are um, exploring mediumship and tipping tables and seances and things like that. Yeah. Well, he said to himself, as I understand it, this is probably um, not something worthy of my interest, but because so many people are attending it and some very well-educated people, I'm going to go check it out. Huh. So he um, checked it out and was deeply impressed with some of the messages coming through, which um, were coming from, uh, perceived as coming from higher spirits, meaning higher intelligences. And uh, within a relatively short period of time, he was interviewing <clears throat> mediums that he could... Um, meet, and also some were sending in letters to him, but he was asking similar questions to mediums, and the the questions he wanted to ask were, were, were deep ones, you know, like, why are we here? What's the point of life? What uh, happens after death? Um, mm, can mm. we, is there interaction between spirits and human beings? Good so question. he was asking very deep questions, whereas a lot of people who go to mediums will say, is my lover the man I should marry? Um, where where did I misplace my keys? Yeah. Uh, et cetera. Yeah. So he took, in some ways, you could say he took spiritualism to another level, which is, if we have contact with higher intelligence, why don't we ask them the most intelligent questions that we can come up with that we don't have a consensus um, answer to? Mm. And so that's what that's what he did, and and then he collated the answers and put it in an extremely organized fashion, and he uh, only posted the answers that he that were repeated from medium to medium. In other words, there was a consensus between many mediums who answered mm. some of these deep questions in a similar way. Mm. So anyway, he wrote these five books, and then um, he was extremely popular. In other words, he sold lots and lots of books in his day. And he basically died right after he completed the, the last book. Mm.
but um, there were so anyway spiritism is available in many countries certainly in Europe but um, there were wealthy families in Brazil at the time who had sent their children to study in the Sorbonne and in Paris and these Brazilian young people brought back some of Kardec's books and um, the philosophy and the way of life that is um, basically described in these books just travels like wildfire through the Brazilian culture mm. because they they already had a um, intermarriage that was going on between the people who'd been brought over as slaves from Africa and the Europeans who had come to colonize the area, yeah, and the indigenous people, and the in, indigen the people who are indigenous to Brazil, and the people coming over from Africa already had something of a spiritualist point of view in mm -hmm. life. In other words, yes, sure, there's communication between spirits and human beings. We know that, but in the intermarriage, there was. Um, definitely a sharing of philosophy, a sharing of lifestyle, and they they took to spiritism in a big way. And uh, at this point, it's it's very popular among and, and becoming more popular even amongst the wealthier classes who are um, the most well-educated, as, as well as with the people who don't have a, a lot of education and um, are looking for some support. Mm. So, um, anyway, I, I visiting Brazil and seeing this side of it in particular, and being invited into looking at the hospitals, the kind of care, compassionate care that people would get, um, and the profoundly compassionate care they would get in the spiritist community centers, it just deeply impressed me. And I... I thought to myself, well, I know Esalen Institute and and places like that in the United States that also offer energy work and also offer a um, kind of a classroom situation where people can get to the bottom of questions like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. So we have places like that in the United States, but you also pay an arm and a leg to get to them. And so it will only be really accessible to the very moneyed classes. Yeah. Whereas in Brazil, you can get all of that, plus they also host um, innovative psychotherapies, um, groups for Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon. It, it, it's, a, it's a center where people can go to for mental health concerns as well as the spiritual side of or the psychosomatic side of physical concerns, and it's all free. Mm. Mm. So anyway, it, uh, as you can tell, I'm, I'm still deeply impressed with it, and uh, and we teach about the spiritist paradigm at IMHU. We offer a course online. I also take healthcare providers to Brazil once a year to mm. visit the hospitals as well as the uh, community centers and to experience the therapies and talk to the practitioners and the psychiatrists who work in these places. Um, so, but that isn't the only thing. That's only two courses out of 40 
that we offer. And uh, so the rest of the courses are really about what it looks like when you step out of the limitations of the biochemical side of psychiatry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and add, you know, some other systems that can have a tremendously positive impact without the side effects that come along with psych- psychiatric medication. Yeah. Remind me the name. You, you used the initials. I am... I, yeah, I as an image, M as in Mary, H as in human, U as in university. But what do the words, letters stand for? Integrative Mental Health University. Integrative Mental Health University. Um, Is it all online? Well, um, most of it is online, but uh, as I'm mentioned, I, I take people right. for a seminar in, in Brazil once a year, and yeah. then there's also yeah. a, um, a live course that I teach, which is certifying people as spiritual emergence coaches. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, so this is a, uh, this is, uh, one thing that's uh, really neat about it is you have such a background, you know, uh, as we've mentioned uh, with your work in spiritual emergency starting in the 80s and then yeah. finding this. Now it's like you've found something beyond our, uh, something that uh, expands on what you were doing already. And that must have been, yeah, very exciting to find. Yes. Well, where were you? are in Vermont, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. Wow. Is there any? Is there in any uh, of this activity happening in other parts of the country? Well, you're meaning the United States, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, there 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 are seventy spiritist centers in the United States. Did Did but, you say seventy seven zero? Seven zero, yeah. Seven wow, eight. pretty good. And well, it's it's good in a way. It, it definitely serves those people who speak Spanish and Portuguese. Oh, but there are not as many of those centers that offer programs in English. Oh, so um, it as people learn more about Spiritism, and they see how it could improve mental health care in the United States, they become very enthusiastic and really want to get training in how to be a practitioner using the spiritist therapies. Um, and and often ask me, like, where can I go? How can I participate in this? Mm. And I also get questions like my daughter or son or um, partner is mentally unstable, but I feel like they need to go to spiritism and the spiritist hospital. Can they go? Yeah. And my, uh, my answer to them, unfortunately, is if you go to a spiritist psychiatric hospital in Brazil, they speak Portuguese and they do not have translators uh, that they hire who speak English, who could be helpful. So I, I am in a position because of my contacts to arrange 
for translators. But still, if if I imagine myself, for instance, being very mentally unstable and then showing up in a hospital where everyone is speaking a language I don't understand, I I would I would feel more isolated. Mm-hmm. which is not ideal when you're when you're feeling disturbed. So uh, I I've been speaking with a more than one psychiatrist in the United States who's interested in bringing this more into the United States. But the the laws that we have here and the attitude we have towards things like mediumship um and energy work that it, it does not make it easy to start something like a spiritist psychiatric hospital in the United States. I understand. I understand. I've been around uh, related uh, uh, stuff since I was a kid. Uh, uh-huh. so I and what, what, what was that, David? Well, uh, my... Uh, my father, uh, especially, and, and you know, my m- mother following, uh, was, well, uh, he, he was a reader in the Christian Science Church and then he, he quit doing that. And that's like being a minister in his sort of, and he, he quit that and got into other uh, New Thought Christianity, uh, uh, teachers like, uh, you know, the, the guy, what's his name? Holmes, uh, they started the uh, church Ernest, of, uh, Ernest yeah, Ernest Holmes, right. And, uh, uh, William Walter and, uh, Emmett Fox and, and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, there were, you know, books on flying saucers and ghosts and, um, uh, different psychic things in the home, although he was really interested in the fundamental nature of mind. But my mother was interested, especially when he died when I was young, she really got interested in mediums and uh, psychics. Uh, So, And we had friends that did. So uh, what I say is I grew up in with a lot of the precursor of the New Age around me. But spiritualism in America and in Europe – had been going on since the mid nineteenth century, uh, and yes. uh, well, and probably before that. But you know, with the influence from uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. Anyway, anyway, I know, and I've I've I had a great psychic uh, uh, teacher that I met the same year I met Suzuki Roshi, and he lived a lot longer. He was great. Oh. Uh, oh. Anyway, so I'm very sympathetic, and I also believe in exorcism and in in uh, communicating with those who've passed on. Uh, uh-huh. And and uh, I don't uh, I don't deal with it. I don't think about it much. Uh, yeah, you know. But I've just been around it. I'm used to it, and also I'm very very close to. I'm, I've I've been. Uh, I've, I've been involved in a little channeling, and I'm very, very close to a uh, recently uh, emerged uh, channel that's really powerful that I won't go oh. into. But I don't uh, okay. talk about those things, or I don't really think about it much. I, I observe it, and uh, I have no problem with it. It's just not my practice, you know. 
Uh, yeah. But, um, I can think, you know, already I'm thinking, I wonder if so-and-so would be interested in this or, you know, um, and especially like you say, some young people sometimes, uh, late teens, early twenties can run into serious problems. Uh, yes. I've been very close yeah. to that too. Uh, um, <laughs> I hope that doesn't, I hope that doesn't mean your son. Um, well, uh, actually, uh, um, no, I wouldn't say uh, my my younger son has spiritual. Well, maybe so, maybe so. He's doing really good now. They're both doing fine. Uh, no, someone else, but I, I don't know if they'd want me to talk about it. Someone very close. <laughs> I. Uh, I I, I, won't, I won't dig around in that direction. <laughs> but um, it's yeah. interesting to me, David, that you had that background with your parents. I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was very unusual. I mean, you know, especially yeah. since I'm uh, in touch with such a wide, uh, wide uh, swath of people and, and and know their backgrounds and everything. It's very unusual. Um, yeah. But um, all right. Now here's the question: um, You you became a transpersonal psychologist, right? And I used to spend uh-huh. time with Ken Wilber, and uh, oh. through him I met what's the guy's name? Roger. Um, Roger Roger Wilcher. Wilcher? N- no, uh, very I, I important am. writer on on uh, transpersonal psychology or a. Uh, 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 a very close friend of Ken's. I forget. And and um, Arthur Dykeman I was close with. Oh, uh-huh. And, Great. you know, so I really don't know that much about transpersonal psychology. I just happen to know all of them and would hear a lot about it. And uh, I yeah. liked it. Now, the... the uh, how, how does... Um, that spiritism sync with transpersonal psychology? Well, that's a big question. Um, I would I would say that it syncs very, very well. In fact, <laughs> um, I, I had a very unusual experience when I went to a, a first center in Brazil that I'd gone to where there was a, a healer. And this healer surrounded himself with a lot of other mediums. And I, I uh, walked up to the healer and and uh, just said, "I'm I'm here because a friend of mine is paraplegic and wants to know if you can help him." So th- that was my mission there, as in my mind. <laughs> and I had the interaction with with the healer. I w- I went outside to just kind of think things over, and three different mediums came up to me and said, you're here because you're going to bring spiritism to the re- to the English-speaking world. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, let's see now, who are these people? I have no idea. What is spiritism? I hadn't even heard the word at that point. Oh, goodness, and, really? And who And who do they think I am? Maybe they've confused me with somebody else. And then, of course, the last question was, 
these people want something from me. What's what's the deal here? Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I just kind of put it on the shelf and thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just kind of sort this out as time goes by. And that evening, literally that evening, I was in my in, um, the posada, which means an in, an inn in um, in Portuguese, and and uh, I was introduced to a woman who's a transpersonal psychologist, lived in Sao Paulo, and was also the head of some spiritist organizations from a particular point of view. In other words, she wasn't the head medium, but she was helping an organization. And and she was about to lead or convene an, um, a meeting of International Transpersonal Association. Mm. So she, she invited me to come to Brazil, I mean, come to uh, visit her in Sao Paulo, and uh, visit Spiritus Centers and talk about transpersonal psychology because she felt like it was a complete fit. And she mm. was sorry that more transpersonal psychologists didn't know about Spiritism because it fits so well together. Mm. Mm. So in a similar fashion, there have been, you know, some people who are very interested in transpersonal who've become interested in Spiritism. But again... It's just not an easy fit. It, you can't just import it into the United States and have everyone be comfortable with it. So, in transpersonal psychology, as you as you know, there's there's not only a um, acknowledgement that there is something called pathology, <laughs> and people who have certain pathologies may benefit from either psychotherapy or possibly medication or possibly they need to be in a residence for a while and taken care of for a period of time. So uh, transpersonal totally acknowledges that there is something called pathology and some of it may relate to a physical problem, Mm. like having a tumor in your brain can create something akin to manic episodes. But... um, the transpersonal, as you know, David, also goes into the zone of, yeah, well, let's consider also that there are these higher realms of um, in intelligence within us that we don't tap. We hardly use, um, we don't use a large percentage of our brain capacity. And what is that, What what happens when we start using that? And so transpersonal psychology has gone into, you know, what are the brainwave patterns of people who meditate for long periods of time? What kind of experiences do they have that are that promote better health for everyone? And so um in a in a sense, what transpersonal psychology is saying is let's if let's move further into these higher states of consciousness, which is exactly what spiritism is about. It's completely dedicated to spiritual evolution. Yeah. yeah. Or development. Yeah. So, so there's a, com- a complete um, similarity mm. in terms of the mission mm. of both. Mm. Yeah. But 
but the yeah. means of which in which people move into these higher states is different in spiritism than in what transpersonal psychology has been used to speaking about. For instance, in transpersonal psychology, you probably wouldn't learn a lot about exorcism or spirit release. You certainly might learn, as I did in graduate school, <clears throat> about the positive effects of energy medicine or en energy healing. Um, so those are certainly similar. <clears throat> you also learn um, about, in, in psychology, the positive effects of positive thinking, which definitely spiritism is totally aligned with. And depending on who you read or who you talk to within transpersonal psychology, you'll you'll also learn about um, the possibility of mediumship or thought transference or non-local uh, uh, healing, yeah, non-local yeah. or mental telepathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We believed that. all that. We believed. We we had. I remember the power of positive thinking was. A book I read when I was like ten or eleven. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah, and it is Roger Walsh. Yeah, that is. Oh, Roger who, Walsh. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I know him. You were I didn't someone know with him. a last name of Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm, so um, keep going. I I had no. What was I going to ask? Oh, the you were, you um, the, were talking the, about the bridge between spiritism and transpersonal psychology. Yeah, have you got more to say about that? Oh well, I'm sure there's tons more to say, but I think if you have another question on your mind, um, this um, with the the hands above the body, uh, what's that called uh -huh. again? Oh well, I mean it's a Is, form of energy work, but actually yeah. in. Uh, in Portuguese, they call it a, a pass, a, a pa like a pass, and unfortunately, <laughs> they've um, trans <clears throat> translated that into English as pass, which doesn't fit really well because we talk about giving a pass to someone, which has a very sexual connotation, right? Path? Wait a minute. Um, P-A-T-H? P-A-S-S. -S. Oh, a pass. Well, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. It doesn't have to have that. It doesn't have to. But yeah. That's, that's a person's uh, generally, yeah. if they are into puberty and beyond, you know, they know that word as having sexual connotations. Uh -huh. But but within, within Brazilian spiritism, the past is generally something where the energy work is done Again, not touching the body, but about six inches above the body, but it's it's designed to clear congestion in the auric field as well as um, uh, moving in uh, and so helping also to balance the person as in creating balance amongst the seven chakras mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm being quite simplistic in this, but I think yeah. everyone will understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And um and then also the the person who is doing the pass can concentrate on a certain area in the person's body. For instance, if they're having issues with pain in an organ, uh for instance a liver, pancreas, 
or if they're they've got pain because of some kind of muscular issue. So the the energy worker can um, address by concentrating or focusing energy into that part of the body. But it's um, it, the pass can be done within like five minutes. And when people go to a spiritist community center, let's say they attend a lecture, then after the lecture is complete, the pass givers will actually go into the audience in a systematic way and give the energy pass to every single person who is there. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, of course, just extremely um, beneficial mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as, uh, you know, and, and could be the reason that some people go to the center in the first place because they know they can get this kind of attention mm-hmm. and that it does help them to stay more balanced mm-hmm. uh, physically as mm-hmm. well as in other ways emotionally. Mm-hmm. And the past givers generally are uh, coming from a place of being a vessel through which the energy of God or the higher spirits who are dedicated to healing, that energy moves through them and then they offer it to the person who's receiving the past. And one of the good benefits of it actually being uh, above the body, not touch, is that the same kind of work is is uh, given to the patients in a psychiatric hospital, and sometimes touch uh, can be triggering for someone who is deeply disturbed. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it's um it's a safer way of offering the energy work where there isn't touch involved when you're working with people who are deeply disturbed. Uh. Uh-huh. I, I hear. I think of several things here. One is Reiki. Yes, uh, what's, it's very similar to Reiki. Yeah, uh, and uh, Harbin Hot Springs was a center for Reiki. I think they've come back and burned down, but uh, Reiki yeah. was very big. In fact, I think Harbin claims came out of Harbin, but I don't know. Um, anyways, Reiki all around. Um, Another thing I think of is Shumei, which is one of the Japanese uh, new religions. Uh, uh-huh. And just, uh, there's a lot of new religions in Japan. New religions mainly formed after World War II. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, there's one in Crestone right next to uh, Crestone Mountain Zen Center, Richard Baker's place. Oh. And I always go over there. And they have... Oh. They grow organic food, and they're really nice. They're very sweet. And, um, you know, I see a presentation, and I receive, I, I can't remember what they call it, uh, the shoemate, where they stand in front of you uh, with their hands, you know, about six inches from oh. you. And uh, I always enjoy it. Uh and, uh, boy, they have... So they're channeling energy for but, your healing? Y- y- well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, oh. I'm just describing it physically. I don't, I don't okay. want to speak for them. Their, okay. uh, their center is in, they have a center in Kyoto, and then they have a center in Lake Biwa, uh, outside of Kyoto that, it, where they have this billion-dollar museum that I am paid to sign. 
Uh, in fact, the building cost a billion and the art cost a billion. They're a very wealthy religion. But um, uh, I, I should have gone there when I was in Japan last time. But uh, anyway, those are the things I think of. Uh, and that's, that's just very interesting. Hmm. Uh, it's, it sounds almost, yeah, it sounds like it would be something that, um, uh, like you'd say, people from a little closer to their animist roots would, uh, understand. If, if you know what I yeah. mean. Um, there's, uh-huh. a, there's a lot of animism in Japan. Japan's, <laughs> I think of it as animist, because <laughs> they uh-huh. really love Shinto. Uh, yeah, and uh, Bali is 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 quite animal. I mean, there's a lot of places in Indonesia that uh, where the people are Muslims, but they have local indigenous uh, religions that they still that are still influence them. Yeah, David, what took you to Bali? Um, my mother died. Uh, Almost 99, and a very inspiring last few months that I spent with her. And, um, and then, uh, my, my wife's, uh, ex-husband died, who she was responsible for, and he was in a care home. And, um, we had a little money, and I said, hey, if we go to Asia, it'll last a lot longer. <laughs> and so we oh. left. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and what made you choose Bali? I'd been here before and I liked it, but we came here and, and we, we checked out. We had uh, people to look up in Malaysia and, uh, I, I knew, I, I knew, uh, Thailand somewhat. And so uh-huh. we spent six weeks in Thailand and 10 weeks in Japan. Of course, I knew I was a zillion people in Japan. I love Japan. But Bali's cheaper than any of them, and yeah. it's really nice. But I, I should add that it's nice for us because we've found a niche that really, or a niche <laughs> that really works for us. But it's not necessarily a pleasant place to visit. It's very crowded, a lot of traffic, and uh, they, you know, just. They're they're destroying it as fast as they can, but we're enjoying it. And everywhere, all over the world, they're destroying it as fast as they can. Yeah, well, I'm with people in a practical sense. Our housekeeper and drivers, and uh, I, I don't really hang out much. But I don't know. I mean, I went out to take a walk to buy a basket today, and uh, um. The place was closed, and so I went next door and asked the two guys sitting at the table out front, when's it going to be open? They said, oh, they've got ceremonies. There's ceremonies all the time. And he said, oh. probably tomorrow. And I said, all right, thank you. He said, come here and sit down. I said, well, no, no, come on. So we sat and we talked for about 20 minutes. And uh-huh. that, that happened yesterday, too. <laughs> Another uh-huh. walk I do. So people here are friendly. Nice. They talk, you know. So I relate to yeah, people that's a lot. Great. It's nice. I and like what, it. What language are you speaking when you sit down with Indonesian? Uh, Indonesian. So you're fluent? No. 
Oh. No, I never get fluent. I, I get, get fluent. I can talk to people. I can talk yeah. to people. I don't have a giant vocabulary and, you know, I don't read the newspaper and, and it's very hard for me to understand them when they're talking to each other. But I can say anything I want. Uh, I can do anything, you know. We have a great time. Yeah. Our housekeeper and me, we talk all the time, you know. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I, I could see it. You know, Sabud came out of Indonesia. Remember Sabud? Oh, yeah. I do. I have friends who are in it, involved with it. Yeah. When I was living in California. It's yeah. pretty much gone from Indonesia now. Is it really? Yeah. I don't, there, well, there was Bapak, a Sabud center here. Quite a but, while ago. Pardon? Bapak died quite a while ago, I think. Oh, yeah. And you know the Ladihan, the, the yeah. practice of Sabud? That's a very yeah. common word here. It just means practice. Oh. You know? Interesting. You practice yeah. the piano. If you practice religion, just like the English word practice. Incidentally, I like oh. the word pass. And I, I yeah. think, you just think of it as a homonym. You know? Uh-huh. It, what, uh-huh. You know, people, you like, he made a pass at her. Uh, that's okay. I don't think, I think once you know what it means, just like passing a football. Uh, yeah. You're passing, so I like it. And so anyway, that's yeah. my opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's good. Uh, well, this is uh, you're you're quite articulate and and uh, clear in explaining all this. And um, but uh, I want to ask you. Uh, we met at the San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, and, and when did you come? When did you come there first? 1967. It was actually in Tassajara that we met. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, when the, when Tassajara was just opening. Yeah. That summer. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Were, were you... Yeah. Uh, were you... Uh, well, tell me about it. Tell me about it. You mean, how did I first get there? Yeah. What did you want to hear about? Yeah. Oh. What? what well... Oh, you, can, you can start with your birth. You know, you can tell me... What led you <laughs> to come to Tassajara? Well, that would be a long story, David. <laughs> so, so I'll I'll just uh, in, intercept with. At, at a certain point, I was living in Berkeley. I was a ceramic artist. I was studying with Peter Volkos, who was top of the line oh, in yeah. ceramic art at yeah. that particular time, and um, and he. He, I, I was thinking, boy, I, I, you know, I, I'm so happy I'm in his class. I, I really wonder what he's going to say about the artwork. So on the on the day that he was going to review our artwork and give us grades and give us feedback, he went through what what uh, I had done and he said, great A, and then he just moved on. And I thought he's really arrogant from my perspective. That's not to say that I'm the judge or I'm not arrogant, <laughs> but that's what went through my head, you know? And I thought, I'm not going to hang out with this guy. This isn't right for me. I'm not sure what is right. And uh, so Mel Weitzman was the head of the um, Berkeley Zen Center at that particular time. Yeah. And I had already gotten into meditation. 
and Zen practice. And so I went to Mel and I said, I'm just really discouraged, disillusioned, disappointed. Um, I'm not sure what direction to go. Got any ideas? And he said, why don't you go to Tassajara for the weekend? Mm. So I got into my VW bus and uh, went down to Tassajara for the weekend and totally fell in love with it. I I just felt like I've never I've never had this sense of being so at home in any place on the planet anywhere <laughs> with anyone else but here. Mm. And I hadn't met Suzuki as it were uh, mm-hmm. before that time, but that weekend he was giving talks. Oh, and, nice! Yeah, yeah, and um, and then I also you know met met a group of other people who were there and of course fell in love with the place itself the hot tubs were clearly um had a positive impact on me the hot springs there but i wasn't i wasn't there for the hot springs i i felt it was it was filling up what i was you know my empty cup basically Mm. i was looking for something that was real and true and that would take me into hopefully, uh, higher states of consciousness. And I was already, at age 20, very aware that the patterns that I'd noticed in my family were not really the patterns that I wanted to live into. I was looking for something else, another Mm -hmm. way of life. And one that would um, promote more happiness and peace. So I, I couldn't have said it then, but... That's what was going on, and um, and I I just uh, went back to Berkeley after the weekend, got rid of all my stuff, got out of the rental, and and somehow it worked that I could stay at Tassajara. Oh, so you were there? Oh, so you you were there? Were you there for the first practice period? And I yes, I went to that first practice period. My my, that's that great. Practice. Sat for five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. You didn't have to do that? Well, the first Tangario was three days. Well, I was told that I had to sit for five. Oh, I know. The first practice period was divided into two parts. It was the first month and the second month, and some people did both months. Some people did the first month, and some people came only for the second month. And, and the first month, we had a three-day Tangario because Richard Baker was afraid everybody would quit or too many people would quit and couldn't do it. But by the second part, and from then on, there was a five-day Tangario. And so that's what you did. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. Uh, tell me more, more. I want to hear. Well, you asked me what got me into Tassajara, right? You you said you said you were already doing Zen. What do you mean by that? Meditating. And- oh, oh, I see. Um, well, I took a year out between high school and college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, and I went to Germany for the year. And while I was there studying ceramic art, 
uh, I met a man who was studying to be a psychoanalyst and in my, you know, very close to my age. And he introduced me to meditation. And I had an extraordinary experience within the first few minutes. I, I've called it an ecstatic experience. And, mm. and um, so what came to me in those few minutes was this is going to be the cornerstone of my life. And I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was talking about. But that's what came to me. Mm. And uh, then when I came back to the United States, I found out that my mother's, one of my mother's sisters, uh, who went by the name of Harriet, was actually part of a Zen Buddhist center in Rochester, New York. Oh, Kaplow's group. Yeah. yeah. Actually, she had been um, part of the group that had found Kaplow and brought him over. Oh. So, oh. Hmm. so there was my dear Aunt H., um, you know, already plugged in, and I thought, well, this is easy. I'll just, you know, sort out what's going on here. And the meditation I'd first done was not Buddhist. It wasn't anything. It was just kind of follow your, keep your eyes closed, follow your breath. That's what my friend in Germany had told me. So, so anyway, I got into Zen thinking, well, I'll check this out, and um, went to some uh, weekend meditation retreats there in Rochester. <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah, so it's okay, you know. And then when I was oh, that given worked the out. I mean, they, they certainly they well, certainly uh, weren't back then into the uh, just close your eyes <laughs> and uh, meditate. Oh no, no, it was very uh, very clear. There were lots of rules and regulations and how to do it kind of thing. But but I was, you know, I, I was about to go to college, and I, I went to Bard College, which is not exactly a few minutes away from Rochester. It would, would have been a long drive, but I, I started a meditation group at college because I knew I wanted to keep meditating. Mm. So we went in, into the bowels of the, um, of the chapel at, at the college, <laughs> and I meditated there. And, um, and so it, it really did become uh, an important part of my life through my own discipline, really. And, and then um, a couple of years later, I was uh, invited to be a teaching assistant for ceramic art in California, at the University of California. And that got me out to California, and I thought, well, all I know is Zen, so that's when I looked up the Berkeley Zen Center ah. and met Mel Weitzman. Mm. That's how it worked. Mm. Yeah, so meditation was definitely not something that my parents were involved with, and they weren't involved with spiritualism. And yes, they were Christian, but, you know, church wasn't a big part of our lives. Um, I, I think I was the one in the family that cared the most about going to church, and mm. that's because the movie, the movies that they showed, <laughs> you know, during a, during Sunday school. But I I was fascinated by the movies they showed and thought something something's going on here. But I, I didn't 
I didn't have any kind of structure for it, really, other than I enjoyed the music of the Episcopal Church and um, enjoyed the community because my parents had close friends who we also went to church with. And so it was the music and the movies <laughs> that really had made a big impression on me. And then it was the meditation, really, when I was um, 17, 18 years old. Wow, that's really something. Um, so you were there at the first in the summer. Did you stay there? Well, you know, um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what month I landed there, except I clearly remember it was summer, but I don't remember exactly the date. And um, and so uh, I, I did stay for the fall practice period. I remember how structured it was, very clearly structured. And I remember, I remember sitting for five days, very yes. clearly. So, um, anyway, and I remember the Seychelles. Yeah. But I, I don't, uh, whether it was a form, I, and I remember, um, you know, signing up for the three months. And that, that would be very clear, a, a specific yeah. time to, for trial. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And did you stay? Uh, stay? Uh, were you there the next spring of '68? Yeah, in the spring I came back, but but um, I left for a, a while in the winter time, and then came back. There's an interim, then. Yeah. Right. Boy, you have a good memory for all of this, all the details, David. <laughs> well, you know, it runs by me all the time. Well. What do you remember about being there and Suzuki and the people or anything? By the way, I'm looking at my watch and mm -hmm. it's a little past nine. <laughs> so I've got to, to move on to my day in in a few minutes, but I'm happy to answer your question. And I feel very honored that you've asked me even to talk to you, you know, and are you kidding? This. I don't know who, <laughs> no way. I don't know who's listening, but anyway. Why don't we just have a part two? and talk again later when you have time. Anything you want me to say, like uh, uh, any links, uh, book names? Or any, I mean, I can find out the book names easy. But anything like that, well, just send me in an email. Uh, anyone looking up Integrative Mental Health University will find us. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, it's all very clear. That's, that's, um, I really, the overall impression with, you know, is, uh, one of clarity, uh, and, uh, and it's uh, very interesting. Uh, and Thank you. makes me want to go to Brazil, like I said. <laughs> I, I love language. Uh, I'd be happy to yeah. go there and there'd be nothing but, Portuguese, but I, I've, I've spent time in Brazil, and the Portuguese is very hard. Boy, I tell you, that Spanish didn't help me at all. I mean, I wasn't there yeah. long, and I was there three weeks. And oh. uh, Portuguese what is tough. What took you to Brazil? What took you there? Oh, I was, what was I, old? 20? Uh, oh. Uh, I, I was living in Mexico. Uh, oh. And, uh, Just touring around. Hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I liked Rio. It was neat. So, um, uh, and so was talking to you. <laughs> okay. Well, um, 
Thank you very much, David, for your time and interest, and it's been fun talking with you, and um, look forward to next time. Yeah, and say hi to Jay. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Dave. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thanks a lot, Emma. You can find uh, a good deal more about Emma Bragdon by going to cuke.com and searching for her, just write her name in the site search box. You can just write Bragdon. Maybe you can just write Emma. We used to call her Emily, but that was so long ago I've forgotten. Uh, remember, if you want to know more about her, uh, you can go to emmabragdon.com or imhu.org. This has been a Cuke Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Poobah Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Senor with Doggett Bandita and dear Feline Cuchita is no longer with us. But she's uh, here in spirit. Here's a little offering. We just had uh, Galingan and Kuningan. It's like the spiritual, animistic high <laughs> of uh, Bali. Every 210 days. So Galangan. But one thing is it, it uh, celebrates uh, a victory like, I don't know, a zillion years ago of the Hindu army here against some other army that was trying to overthrow them. But people uh, tend to say it's when the uh, ancestors come back to visit and... Um, so it's, I think it's 11 days from Galangan to Kuningan. We all have penjures, or many of us have penjures in front. We do. And that's made out of a very long bamboo pole that tapers at the end so that it hangs over. And it's, oh, it's decorated. It's very decorative. Just just write Bali, penjur, P-E-N-J-U-R, uh, and... Um, uh, you know, Google, and uh, you'll see it. You'll, you can read about them. You can see tons of pictures of them. But anyway, we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Mm-hmm.